Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. Uh, and today we'll be fulfilling the wishes of people who have uh, written to us requesting more sad royal stories. We got one of those just yesterday. We did. Uh, and this one is... Um, comes from us comes to us from Korea and it's another episode of Royal Madness. Uh and it's quite sad and interesting, particularly as viewed through the modern lens. But in the seventeen hundreds, for context, Korea was uh ruled at the time by the Chose Choseon dynasty. I may or may not be butchering that. I will do my very best. I do not speak Korean. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> we, I don't either. We have consulted with native Korean speakers, but again what comes out of our mouth may not be properly parroted. We're doing no, our very well, best. And uh, I, I always kind of want to have this disclaimer about, like, physically, when you learn to pronounce phonemes as a child, your brain loses that ability to make your mouth make phonemes that aren't part of languages you learn as a child. Yeah. And so it, it's not just a matter of it being difficult. Like, your mouth doesn't move that way. <laughs> and I have the... um the thing of my secondary language, which I am not fluent in anymore, but was very close to when I was younger, was French. And so even when I'm tackling Asian languages, that kind of comes in. It's very strange, and I apologize. So in any case, that dynasty uh, had been in power since the 1390s, since 1392. So it was a very long-lasting dynasty. Uh, but today's topic sits right in the mid-1700s, and it covers the story of a man who is often called Korea's Coffin King, and you will find out why as we go on. It's uh, quite interesting slash horrifying. Uh, Crown Prince Sado of Korea has been described as insane, depraved, sadistic, but when you really examine his short life... It's much more complicated than a list of acts of savagery, even though there are plenty of really horrifying events. So starting at the very beginning, he was born on February 13th of 1735. So his birthday is coming up. Uh, and he was the second son of King Yongjo. And Sato's mother was the king's favorite concubine, Lady Sonui. King Yongjo's first son, Crown Prince Hyojang, had died seven years before Sada was born at the age of nine. The king's consorts had given birth to other children, but they were all girls. So when Sado came into the world, he filled the empty air slot. Yeah, that was a big concern, as you as often happen. may understand. Yes, when in royal not an heir, There's a lot of panic, and so there had been no heir for a little bit of time. Uh, and so they, there was much rejoicing when Sado was born. However... It's said that the king had a little bit of a temper uh, and that Sato was quite afraid of him from the time that the prince was very, very tiny. And it made him be uh, behave in a, a sort of timid and awkward way when he was in his father's presence. But unfortunately, that just made Yongjo kind of resentful of his son uh, and kind of short, especially short tempered with him. And by all accounts, the relationship between the two really did not have any sort of nurturing element. However, Sato was completely devoted to Yongjo and, you know, really revered his father. He uh, apparently didn't have a, a much better relationship with his mother either. Lady Sanui was so focused on keeping his upbringing in line with what the king wanted that even though she spent a lot of time with her son, he continued to be kind of fearful of her, too. Yeah, he was also very devoted to his mother, but 
she really was uh, rules first, mothering second with him, is how you'll often hear her described. Uh and then we're going to jump. It sounds like we're jumping, but we're not. It's right. not a, it's not right. very many years. Yes. Uh, so on April 27th of 1744, and it's interesting because even though we have the dates of his marriage and his birth, the age he was when he got married is reported differently as eight, nine or ten. But as we know with history, sometimes dates aren't always correct either. So he was still very, very young. He was eight years old. Uh and he was betrothed and married to a girl his same age, uh, Lady Hong from the Hong family. And she was the daughter of a scholar who had impressed, who had an impressive royal lineage, but no money to speak of. Uh, but he had really impressed the king with his, his knowledge and his ability to, uh, teach. And in her memoir, Lady Hong describes being chosen as the prince's wife as being a really anxiety-ridden experience. And she ponders whether she hadn't had a premonition of the myriad trials and tribulations I would go through in the palace. Her parents actually hoped that she would not be chosen. Uh, and even though she describes the queen and the consorts and princesses as being extremely kind and welcoming to her, she was completely overwhelmed by the whole process. As you can imagine, a child would be when they suddenly become betrothed to a future king. Yes. And while they were married at this point, their relationship was really more like that of being childhood playmates at first, given their very young age. They didn't even live in the same house. After seeing how seriously the new bride took her role in serving the royal family, Lady Sanhui uh, encouraged Lady Hiegyong, which became her name once she joined the royal family, to behave more like a child and less concerned with all these rules and palace propriety and that sort of thing. And of note from Lady Hiegyong's memoirs is the relationship between her father and the crown prince. So because uh he was a, a scholar that was fairly welcome in the court, although he didn't spend a lot of time there, he did, especially once he became the father-in-law to the future king, spend some time with Sado. And they apparently were extremely fond of one another. And in some ways, uh Lady Hyegyong's father seemed to fill the fatherly role that was missing in Sado's relationship with his own father, the king. So they really... uh had a, a pretty in-depth and very uh, real connection. It wasn't just a matter of, you know, yes, I serve you, you're a future king. He, they really connected on an emotional level. A year and a half after he got married, Sato got really seriously ill. And shortly after that, in January of 1746, the prince and his wife were moved to a palace closer to his mother, Lady Sanhui's home. Even after his illness, which was never clearly identified, uh, even after that had passed, he had this unusual and peculiar behavior. Yeah, there's not a lot of knowledge about what this illness was, except that it was very serious. And he began to act very strangely during it and then afterwards. But as he approached his teenage years, he really became very serious about his studies. He also became adept at swordsmanship and archery, and he loved to read. So part of that is his connection with his father-in-law. So he got along well with his sisters. He was particularly close to the sister that was least favored by the king, probably because they had kind of this mutual thing that they bonded over. 
And he was very close to the Queen Dowager, still very devoted to his mother, even though their relationship wasn't exactly cuddly. Uh, but things would appear to have been on a pretty good track at this point. However, Sato's continued awkwardness around the king led to the prince and his bride being moved from uh, the place they were living to be further away from the family because the king presumably was not terribly fond of seeing him all that often. Uh, and that happened in April of 1747. And as a consequence, they were kind of isolated. So he would see his family, but not nearly so often. And he was missing out on kind of some of the social interaction that he had been really kind of warming up to and enjoying up to that point. At the age of 14, after the prince's coming-of-age ceremony, it was decided that the marriage of Sato and Lady Hyagyeong should take on a more adult nature and stop being so childlike. So it's really here that they started to live as husband and wife, and the relationship took on a sexual context. And the following year, Sato and Lady Hyagyeong had their first child, Uizo, but the baby lived only to the age of two. Uh, and the royal family grieved really deeply over the loss of this child. And Sato's wife, as a consequence, felt a great deal of guilt over the matter. She felt like she had failed the royal family. Less than a year after the baby's death, Prince Shangzhou was born in 1752. And around this time, and possibly triggered by a case of the measles, uh, the odd behavior that Sato had exhibited since his illness as a young child took on a much more serious and a much darker tone. He started having terrible nightmares. Uh, he believed he could see apparitions, including the god of thunder. Uh, he became fearful of the sky and of the weather at this point. Uh, and he thought that his father was going to blame him and be angry with him anytime there was a thunderstorm or other inclement weather. During this time, the king, who was getting on in years, also started to act pretty strangely. He would wash his ears after he heard something unpleasant. He'd wash his mouth and ears and change his clothes after talking to his son. And he became kind of obsessed with what door he used when he was coming and going, based on whether he thought the duties he was going to or coming from were pleasant or unpleasant. Possibly to the detriment of Sato's mental health, King Yongjo started sending Sato on uh, in, in his place to the more unpleasant duties that he didn't want to do himself, like watching the torture of criminals. Yeah. So the king, presumably in part because he was getting older, uh, was having these sort of strange behaviors. But as a consequence, Sato, who already had all manner of strange behaviors, was then getting exposed to a lot of unpleasant and very stressful events. And then several events happened beginning around 1753 that further eroded the already really strained relationship between the father and the son. First, both of the men had affairs with court ladies beginning in 1753, and these affairs resulted in pregnancies. The woman who Sato fathered children with had two sons, while the king's concubine had two daughters. Uh, and because sons were seen as more important than daughters... King Yongjo was furious about Sato's new children. And to further complicate matters, the brother of the king's concubine was feeding the king regular reports about Sato's ongoing bizarre behavior. When Sato's mother, Lady Sanhui, fell ill in late 1755, the prince went to her bedside, only to be greeted by the king, who was just bellowing. Sato was so frightened by his father's rage that he jumped out a window and ran back to his palace. 
And around this time, Sato developed a stammer. Uh, and the stress of his strained relationship with his father was the likely cause of it. When King Yangjo made a visit to the prince in the summer of 1756, his stammering and his confused behavior led his father to think that he was drunk. So he yelled at Sato and left him so upset that the prince became violent and started chasing the servants. During his fit, the palace caught fire and the prince's wife, who at this point was very pregnant, barely managed to escape with their young son. So that's really when things start getting kind of violent and scary. And then it escalates from there. So from this point on, the prince's behavior became increasingly disturbing. And to deal with any negative emotion, he turned to beating the servants as an outlet. And meanwhile, his wife was struggling with her own depression after the the births of two daughters. Her last isolation period that was normal for um, her to have after a pregnancy she really never came out of that quite the same. She really had a, a pretty severe, what some would say at this point is probably postpartum depression. When the queen and the queen dowager died, one right after the other, several eunuchs of the palace were just beaten mercilessly by Prince Sato. And after he attended these women's funerals, his apparent madness just escalated. Uh, so we're going to do a brief list of some of his horrible acts. We could really go on for hours, but we're going to hit the high points. They're not really high points. But, no. Well, uh, this is the part in the outline where I, I, I am Tali and said, I feel like he's the inspiration for Joffrey Baratheon. <laughs> uh, and there's, I don't know if there's merit to that in terms of him actually being the inspiration, but there is certainly merit to that connection. Yes. Uh, so... Early on in his descent into madness, he murdered a palace eunuch and he impaled the head on a stick. And then he carried this horrible monstrosity around the palace and showed it off to ladies of the court. Presumably because he enjoyed their response. Yeah. We don't know. He also murdered maids kind of on a whim uh, and did so often. And he became increasingly sexually aggressive with court ladies. And if they denied his advances, he would force himself upon them and became uh, really a serial rapist. He took a new mistress who was a seamstress, and he paid for her to live in lavishly appointed apartments, which infuriated his father. The seamstress bore him a son, but he badly injured her during an episode of... He just kind of madness, and she wound up dying from her wounds. He would also leave the palace in disguise and walk among the commoners. And we really don't know what happened during these walkabouts, because we only know it from the side of his wife's memoirs, where she just found out that he was leaving the palace, but she, nobody was following him or taking account of what he was doing while he was out. Anytime there was a death in the family or some kind of stressful event... Uh, it just became expected that there would be a trail of bodies afterward. And he's actually quoted by his wife as saying, it relieves my pent up anger to kill people or animals when I'm feeling depressed or on edge. Which is, I mean, you can't get more clear and admission of what you're doing. than Right. That. Another manifestation of his, his mental illness was this full on obsession with clothes. He would demand to see dozens of new sets of clothing in order to choose just one outfit. But that's the mild end of it. Yeah. Uh, 
he would sometimes burn outfits as a spirit offering. Again, he was still having these visions that various specters and spirits were coming to him. And if his attendant made any error while he was dressing him, Sada would become deeply upset and have to remove every piece of clothing he was wearing and start over. And he came to believe that his clothes would please or displease the spirits and cause good or bad weather accordingly. So he still had this weird connection to the weather, and he thought that he was somehow causing it based on whether he pleased the spirits with his choices. As his obsession with clothing got stronger and stronger, so did other aspects of his mental illness. He was seeing people who weren't there. His manners, which used to be impeccable, fell away completely, and he started swearing at his mother and in public and becoming verbally abusive to children. He also became, uh, began drinking heavily, uh, and alcohol was forbidden in Korean court, so this was really a serious break from acceptable behavior. Sexually, he became increasingly voracious, and he was organizing orgies. He even started pursuing one of his sisters, although she continually rebuked his advances and cursed him. And beginning in 1762, things got really, really bad. Basically, every servant or non-royal in the palace was in constant danger. Uh, it's said that several bodies had to be carried away every single day. Uh, so physicians, translators, maids... Workmen, eunuchs, there is no clear count of how many people were killed, but he killed or maimed in some cases, basically anyone he wanted to. Uh, during this time, he also was apparently not lucid. He appeared to be almost unconscious of the violent behavior that was going on and unaware of his wife and children. He would have moments of clarity, though, where he seemed genuinely devoted to them. Yeah, and he was aware that he had done these things, but in those fits of insanity, it was like that all fell away and all he could focus on was the violence. Uh, there were accusations of innumerable inappropriate behaviors, of course, but the thing that really seemed to put uh, his behavior past the point of tolerability for the king and the queen was his ceaseless stalking of his younger sister. He continued to try to seduce her, uh, he even tried to break into her apartments to get to her when she was trying to stay away from him. And this, combined with the ever-growing pile of bodies and more and more accusations and word of his behavior getting out among the people, finally meant that the royal family had had enough. Uh, and before we get to this next bit, we're going to pause and have a word from our sponsor. Okay, now we're going to get back to... Uh, Some kind of grim territory. How all of this horrible gore came to a close. So on July 4th, 1762, King Yongzhou summoned the prince. And when the prince arrived before his father, the king stripped him of his title and his crown and brought out a heavy wooden rice storage box. Sada was put in the box and the lid was shut. And that is the last anyone saw of him alive. He stayed there. Uh, and on July 12th, which was eight days after he was put in, Sato died at the age of 27. His servants and his attendants were also put to death. And I feel like we should uh, briefly mention that depending on the translation you read of uh, his wife's memoirs, some say that he was buried. Some that's a little less clear. Some suggest that he sat in a courtyard. Either way, it's pretty horrifying. It's a, He did many horrible things, but that's also a very horrible thing. 
And this extreme act was, according to the prince's widow, the idea of the king's wife, uh, Sosato's own mother. And she is quoted as saying the following to King Yongjo. Since the prince's illness has become quite critical and his case is hopeless, it is only proper that you should protect yourself and the royal grandson in order to keep the kingdom at peace. I request that you eliminate the prince, even though such a suggestion is outrageous and a sin against humanity. It would be terrible for a father to do this in view of the bond of affection between father and son, but it is his illness which is to be blamed for this disaster and not the prince himself. Though you eliminate him, please exert your benevolence to save the royal grandson and allow him and his mother to live in peace. And as for Sato's wife, uh, while she wished to die, she did not commit suicide, which is not entirely uncommon at this point. Uh, there were other members of their family where a man had been put to death and the wife would starve herself to death uh, because that was considered in some ways to be the completion of her duties as a wife. But uh Hyegyeong chose instead to hang on in support of her son. And she had been put in a terrible position because if she killed herself, it could be perceived as some sort of admittance that her husband was guilty of something rather than this sort of mental illness issue. Uh, or it could also be perceived that she was protesting the king's handling of the matter. So either of those uh, assessments of her suicide, if she had committed suicide, could have deeply, deeply damaged her son's reputation. And this whole thing was really an attempt to kind of keep her son safe in terms of the royal lineage. This event, as you can imagine, was quite controversial. Under court custom, a criminal execution of Sato would have meant that the whole family would be punished. King Yonjo's hands-off execution was intended as kind of a loophole, so that even though the king had put his son in a box, it wasn't the king who killed him, it was starvation. Yeah, starvation, sometimes you'll see it listed as suffocation. It would seem it, they seems like their ca- exact cause of death. Yeah, it seems like suffocation would have happened much sooner. Than well, there wasn't rice in the box. Oh, okay. It was just him, To the it appears, uh, to the best of my knowledge, but... Yeah, you're still not, uh, you're not getting what you need as a human at that point. Right. Uh, and furthermore, there was actually some turmoil about Sato's son being the heir to the throne when his father had never ruled and in fact had behaved so shamefully. And to combat this problem, King Yongjo, uh, did an interesting sort of legal maneuver. He made Sato's heir, Chongjo, a posthumously adopted son of the long-deceased brother that Sato had had, Prince Hyojang, that had died before Sato was even born. And this move meant that there were no legal ties, technically, between Prince Chongjo and his biological father, Sato. And while this smoothed things out on paper, politically, it caused a great deal of strife. And it caused so many problems that it actually became taboo to even discuss Chongjo's paternity. So his biological father discussion was completely off limits. When the king died in 1776, Changzhou did wind up taking his grandfather's throne. And the major source that we have for Sato's tragic and horrifying story and the events, the events surrounding it are the memoirs, as I've said earlier, of Sato's wife. And these memoirs were written many years after the fact. The first of the four memoirs that she wrote was written in 1795. So we're already three decades out. 
and she, it, even though it was many decades out, she really recorded his descent into madness in great detail. And this was a very unusual move for a woman at the time, uh, particularly in Korean culture, but really worldwide, to write memoirs. And it was absolutely unheard of at this point uh, for someone of the Korean court to openly discuss royal misconduct. What's really interesting is that she writes about both her husband and her father-in-law with a lot of compassion. It's clear that she wants the people who are reading to have a clearer picture of this complex web of events that was playing out. So she doesn't make a pure villain out of either of them, even though she describes all of the horrific things that were going on. She seems to recognize that he was mentally ill and not in control of his impulses. So she paints this picture of a sensitive, thoughtful boy who grew up in an environment that didn't handle him with care uh, and, you know, had... Had, had had things gone differently, he would have been able to flourish. Yeah, it's a very uh, interesting read. And allegedly, she wrote some of these memoirs for her son's benefit. Uh, there had at one point been a, a, a rumor that Sato had in fact not been mentally ill, but had been framed in a bigger political plot. And it's extremely clear in her narrative and her description of how he went crazy that his actions are those of a very damaged man. And it's interesting to keep in mind that she knew him in a way that no one else would have known him, not just from being his wife, but she became his wife when they were both still tiny kids. Right. And so she really, and especially once they were isolated and kind of sent away because his father didn't like to be around him. She saw him more than anyone else in the Royal family would have. And really, you know, got to witness this person that she cared for a great deal go from being that kind of, you know, I'm really interested in learning. I'm, you know, thoughtful. He loved her father because he was a scholar and he was really into learning and kind of slowly becoming a monster, really, because what she perceives is um, his mistreatment, whether it was intentional or not just poor choices made in terms of the upbringing of that person. Right. And her four memoirs don't center exclusively on Sato and his father, although their conflict is, of course, present throughout all of it. She also writes about and similarly contextualizes and defends other relatives as well. Yeah, she's so, uh, I don't want to say even-handed because she clearly has some bias and she's pretty open about saying, like, this was my favorite brother, this is, you know. But she really does want people to have all of the information and understand the base beginnings of how this, you know, these events that you can see from the outside, that from the inside there was a lot more going on than a simple list of horrible things that somebody did and the horrible thing that was done to him. Yeah, it's really hard not to wonder how someone like him would have fared in a time when mental illness could have been diagnosed and treated and handled much differently than it was at the time. Prince Sado was originally buried in Mount Baebongsong in Yongju, but when his son Chongjo took the throne after his grandfather's death, he actually had his biological father exhumed and moved to Mount Hwazan in Suwon. Uh, Yongjuza Temple was built nearby, and the seat of government was also shifted to Suwon, and a fortress was built around the area. And uh, this site, which is now known as Huizong, Fortress became a UNESCO heritage site in 1997. And now with some history on it, I think people kind of do acknowledge that this is a person that didn't necessarily have to be terrible. He was right. not 
someone that just killed because he thought it was fun, although he did say it brought him great relief. Yeah, he eventually seemed to think it was fun, but that he didn't start out that way. Well, and I don't even know that he ever thought it was fun, but he it was the only way he knew to relieve stress, mm-hmm. which is really scary to think about. Yeah. Like, where your brain gets to, where you're like, the only way I'm going to get through this day, I'm going to have to kill some people. Like, that's a strange place if you think about that moment where somebody's having it. Yeah. Now that's the thing that people say, and they don't mean it. Yeah. Don't. Uh, I hope no one ever means it. Do you also have some listener mail? I do. This is listener mail that uh, made me smile, which I always love. I'm glad we're ending this episode with something that will make it us is, smile. It's so sad. And it's, uh, I was texting with my best friend yesterday while I was going over these notes. And, and as a, I mentioned in our FAQ episode, I sometimes like kind of data dump on people and see where I haven't added information that, that would be interesting because I see what they ask about. But we were talking about it and I was saying, I, I feel so bad for this man. Is that weird? He was a serial killer, basically. Just, no, no, no. Yeah. Uh, people on the internet will get super mad at people who express empathy for... I just Everybody involved, I think, no one... They probably all had the best of intentions, yeah. and it just fell apart. So you kind of... And especially someone who is clearly mentally ill. Right. I mean, I'm no clinician, so I would not be able to diagnose what particular illness he you know was was struggling with but clearly mental illness yeah and there was no way to treat it which is heartbreaking so on to happy email uh this comes from our listener joshua and he says good morning i hope you're both doing well He's been listening for years to various stuff podcasts. He says, I just finished watching a Nova special that made me think of you two, 3D spies of World War II. It was about the use of Spitfires as spy planes to take recon photos and how they used a stereoscope to view 3D images using the photos and how they used what was called a wild machine to get approximations of distances in the photos accurate enough to create scale models of target bomb sites and how this all came together to stop uh, a Nazi rocket program. As if all of this technology and brilliance isn't enough, and it's really cool. Uh, that's my interjection, by the way. Uh, there was one name mentioned that really rang a bell. Disney Imagineer Xavier Atencio. If I remember correctly, he was a major player in the creation of Disney's Haunted Mansion. You do remember correctly, Joshua. Uh, they said that the Brits needed not only academic types, but creative types as well to pour over the photos and make sense of them. And due to this, one of the places that they tapped for their photo interpreters was Hollywood. And Xavier Atencio was one of the photo interpreters that was used during World War II and was one of the people interviewed for this Nova episode. I found this video, and it's tied to one of your episodes, rather interesting, and I thought I would share. That is really interesting and really cool. Uh, I looked it up. I think it was between 41 and 45 he was doing this work, which would mean that he got pulled off of his work on Fantasia to go do that. Uh just really cool and fascinating. And I had never known that about Exitensio. Me neither. So that was super cool. And uh, now I'm going to go watch that Nova special <laughs> on my lunch. If you would like to write to us and share your thoughts, you can do so at historypodcast at discovery.com. You can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash history, on Twitter at history, or on Tumblr at mistinhistory.tumblr.com. And you can find lots of interesting visuals on Pinterest at pinterest.com slash history. 
If you would like to learn a little bit more about what we talked about today, you can go to our website and type in the words mental illness, and you'll get a bunch of articles, including one called What Don't We Know About Mental Illness? That answer is probably would have done a lot of good in uh, the Korean court when Prince Sato was struggling with his problems. If you'd like to learn about mental illness or almost any other thing that your mind can conjure, you can do that at our website, which is HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 